0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to What Would The Smart Party Do? This week, we've lost Baz. Winter is coming, and his boiler's broken, so he's had to go out into emergency accommodation and can't be with us. But don't fear, because I've managed to get in our expert second-in-command. It's Mr. Ian McAllister from the Giant Brain and the Brainwaves podcast. How are you doing, Ian?
1: Not too bad at all. How are you? We we, we have no problems with cold up here. We just bring all the haggis inside, and everyone keeps warm. It's great. It's all good. It's, yeah,
0: it's, yeah it's, unfortunately, they don't live down south on the border, so we... we
1: not afforded that luxury. Oh, there are some rare varieties down with you, but they're very hard to find. Yeah, they've got short legs on one side so they can run around the hills. Correct. Well done. I'm, I'm glad you've read
0: up on them. Oh, I've got, I've got good knowledge. Excellent. But uh, it's not it's not just not just Uncle Ian. We've also got another superb guest for you. Good friend of the show, Mike Mason. How are you doing, Mike?
2: Hi, uh, hi the pair of you. How are you doing? Sorry to have missed Baz. Uh, I'm sure he's, uh, he's getting dragons out of his boiler, though, all right, with a few D10s, so... Uh... I'm sure it'll we'll all be fine. Best best, best of luck, Baz. <laughs> That's probably
0: the problem, because he plays D&D all the time. He's just got D20s. If there's D10s in there, he won't know what to do with them.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's probably the problem. So, Mike, you are the the lead of Chaosium's Cthulhu
2: section, basically, aren't you? That's your main job. I'm sure our listeners already know this. Well, in a nutshell, yeah. yeah I mean, my, uh, I guess my official title is line editor for Call of Cthulhu, but yeah, basically, if it's got Cthulhu in it, then um, it tends to uh, come across my desk, look after all the you know, the Call of Cthulhu line, basically.
0: Yeah, and uh, you, you've got some praise, well, Chaosim as a whole, because we were speaking to Matt Mills last week. And he was saying that Kerstrom seemed to be really well, and Cthulhu was doing well, all that kind of stuff. So you're obviously being spotted by the big guns now as well. The turnaround of the company's in full flow now.
2: You're up there with Dungeons and Dragons at the top of the tree. How does that feel? <laughs> oh well, uh, well, well, lovely, I guess. Uh, uh, there we be, I mean, it's nice, that, you know. Kersham's had its up and downs over over the lifespan of the company, uh, you know. Not not least of which, you know, a few years back. So it's nice that the work and the uh you know, the kind of commitment that's gone into the company, particularly, you know, with the new management team coming in and so on, has started to kind of, you know, pay off in that regard in terms of, you know, I think I think the quality of the books, you know, I think if you compare what we're putting out now to what Keresman was putting out, you know, five, let alone ten years ago. I think, you know, the quality speaks for itself in terms of the you know, the look and the design. And the production values of the of the books, and hopefully the quality of the content too, which is obviously what I tend to deal with most of the time. There was a um, a period, you know, not really through anyone's fault, unfortunately, due to due to illness and and uh, other circumstances, where the, the kind of called the Cthulhu line didn't really have a an overseer. At the time, so things were uh, a little um, shaky around the side sometimes with some of the, some of the older products that came out that really didn't necessarily didn't really have a lot of editorial oversight. So it's nice to be able to kind of you know focus that down. So uh, you know, in a nutshell, yeah, it's it's great to kind of start to see all that kind of work kind of bear fruit, and and obviously. Seeing games being played, looking at forums and seeing people, you know, getting into the game for the first time. And and certainly, you know, with the new edition and the material we're putting out certainly seems to be attracting, you know, not only, you know, people to continue to play Call of Cthulhu who have been playing it, you know, for however long. But actually attracting, you know, people into the game, uh, you know, trying out the game. You know, they've been playing D&D or Pathfinder or something else and they want a bit of a change of pace. And so Cthulhu is that kind of perfect game for that kind of change of pace for a group. But what's really encouraging is seeing people coming new into roleplay, you know, who are picking up Call of Cthulhu as a kind of a gateway game into the whole kind of tabletop Mm -hmm. hobby and um, picking it up and coming in. So, you know, that's that's for me, you know, a really vital part, you know, obviously encouraging the next generation of roleplayers is uh, is, you know, is good stuff. So, yeah. So, yeah, please, really. Yeah, please.
1: I've I've been giving Call through the Side Eye a little bit myself over the last year because I've never I've been role playing for a long time but it's just something I've never got around to either running or playing in. And the stuff you're putting out right now looks really good. The starter set looks fantastic, like a really nice little box set of different character sheets and the, all the adventures and that kind of thing in there. If I was to pick that up, what what sort of next steps after that do you think are sort of the
2: the next thing that I should be looking at if, if I was to sort of get a group into that? In terms of moving on from you know you know once you've got in through the starter set. The next thing in terms of scenarios is is certainly something like Doors to Darkness book, which is five scenarios which are tailored for you know new people into the game. They are designed not not only designed for new keepers, but also uh, with the mind that the people playing the game are probably going to be new to the game or you know less familiar. Um, So those those are kind of an ideal next step. Although I was reading a reading a post today, somebody who had bought the basic set played those and then and then we're pretty much heading straight into masks and other which i you know ambitious but you know great you know if that's if they feel comfortable (laughs) they've read it and they want to go with it then great but uh, i normally recommend maybe maybe play a few more scenarios before you get into something big like uh, masks perhaps
0: yeah so it's been good to see that chaosium is bringing stuff out like the starter set and you know there's a lot more focus it seems on quick starts and and getting people into games, I think that was one of the old kind of complaints, not from really back in the day, but certainly in sort of moderate history in terms of if you want to pick up RuneQuest, you know, Chaosium games generally, what what do you do? How do you get into it? Because there's so much stuff, everything's big, beefy tomes like masks or something like that. So it's really good to see uh, gateways in for people and make it easier. And there's a lot more you do doing around community. So what was the thinking behind the starter set? Like? What, what sort of went through your, your mind as you were putting that together?
2: my first thoughts are kind of to to kind of go back to myself when i was you know getting into HB, i mean you know i first thing i really bought was the, the basic D box set back in the day the uh i call it the purple one it's the one before the red box everyone seems to talk about i don't know what i don't know what it's supposed to be but that, that was that was but then i did buy the red box i thought the red box was a brilliant kind of introduction because it kind of it didn't assume anything, it kind of really held your hand as it went through. And, and that for me is is the key, really. You want something that tells you what it is, it tells you how it is and what it is without too much blurb and assumes nothing, really. Just assumes that, yeah, well, if you picked up this starter box, probably you're starting out, you know. And I don't know, you know, I, I can't just tell whether you're starting out new to Call of Cthulhu or whether you're new to Call of Cthulhu and tabletop role playing. So I have to just make you no know, assumptions and just say, this is how it is and do it in a short and concise way so you know i wanted to ensure that when you open the box it would basically hold your hand through the process of learning what is the game how to play it how to run it so by the end of the last book in the box you've run three games uh with you know various amounts of people you've got a, a you know, handle on the core rules. You've got to handle on how to role play and what Call of Cthulhu is. And so, if by the end of that, my my mission was that, you know, you've either enjoyed it, great stuff, well done. You know, here's here's the next steps. You know, now now you're ready to go and buy the the big rule book and get some more adventures and carry on playing. Or you give it a go. It isn't for you. Well, great. Well, you give it a try. Fine. But hopefully, by the end of it, if you've got that far, then you know you you found a game that you you and your friends uh, can get on with. So that was the kind of the the basic kind of thoughts I had, and what I wanted to do was I didn't want to reinvent the wheel. I wanted to kind of use Call of Cthulhu has got a very rich past in terms of the the product and the the scenarios that have been put out for for the for the game over the you know thirty five plus years. So looking at some of the what I considered you know among among the Call of Cthulhu community as, as some of the real kind of classic, really good examples of intro scenarios and pull them together and so you know taking things like paper chase uh, edge of darkness and uh, dead man's stuff which have all at various time featured in the call of cthulhu rule book over its various sort of iterations down the years was to pull them all back together uh, they would not release them for seventh edition so they all do a kind of a bit of a refresh and an update doing that uh so it would you know, so that we knew they were tried and tested. I guess is what I'm saying. There were tried and tested scenarios that worked really well. So putting them in the box seemed like a no-brainer. It also meant that people who wanted to get, you know, updated the versions of them could, fight, could, you know, had a fairly low price point, a way of easy way of doing that as well if they wanted to. And then mixing that up, a slightly uh, revamped version of Alone Against the Flames, which is the, the solo. Introductory story that basically teaches you how to play the game as you play through a solo choose your own adventure. Putting that in as the first thing you do, because to me, I mean, you get you get you're all excited. You've never done this kind of thing before. You get home with the box set, and you open the first book, and and you then got to read like forty pages before you do anything. It struck me. Well, we don't need to do that. We can literally say, "Hey, this is the box set. This is you know here's 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 a page on you know what is role playing, what is Call of Cthulhu, and then say, right, pick up some dice." Go to, you know, go to entry one on the next page and start this adventure. And if by the end of that you don't like it, then you don't need to read any more. You know, put the box away, and give it away to a friend. But if you enjoyed yourself, then clearly this is something you for you to carry on with. So it, to me, it, it seems like a very kind of easy and um, uh, useful way to kind of just get people into the game straight away. You know, So the first night you've got the box, you've played the game.
1: Yeah, I think it's a great idea. I like that having that solo venture you play through, and it teaches you the rules as well. Because even something like the D and D Basic Set, the one that's out for Fifth Edition, there's still quite a lot of learning in there. You do have to like read through a lot of adventures and get a handle on the rules and everything before you get to the table to have something to just go at. Is that's a really cool idea. I really like that.
2: Yeah, I think Gavin. Uh, Gavin English, who's the the writer of uh, Alone Against the Flames, did the, did the Sterling job really or blinder in terms of. You know, doing something that was you know engaging and and you know basically teaching you as you went. You know, I think he, he did a great job of kind of pulling that together, so it wasn't it wasn't so uh, you know overburdening people. You know, it's very hmm. easy to just get into and and let the rules kind of just flow below the surface almost. Cool. The other the other the other the other discussion we had about the box set was whether to include dice, and because uh, obviously you know that's an added cast, and we've got to make sure the dice fit in the box and. And all the uh, all the extra things, but um, to me it was like, well, you, you're really excited. You got this. You take it home, and it says, "I start playing this solo adventure." Pick up a D10. It's like, what's a D10? And and like, there's nothing in the box. It's like, if there's a way to put people off ever playing this game again, it would be to yeah. not put dice in the box. So you know, we had that we had that discussion. Said, so "No, put dice in the box because it's you know, people want to do it straight away. They don't want to then go." Oh no, where do I get dice from? I have to order them, wait for two days from turn up, find the gaming store. No. (laughs) Put the dice in the box, make life life easy.
1: Definitely.
0: With the rest of the ethos you're doing, you don't want to turn to page one. Right, now go back down. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And buy these other things. Yes. These didn't know existed until a minute ago. Yeah, it's fair enough. And I think for the old school gamers as well, having dice in the box is just like nostalgia. In the ten basically it's that sure. kind of like that's what I remember from the old days. So that, that's pretty good. Yeah, one of my friends, Pete, is um, he started or one of his friends has started jamming. I think it's masks down there. It's one of the big big old boxes, and they've got two new players who've never played Cathedral before. That they throw right into it, and I was like, okay, that's interesting. And Pete's like, yeah, I'm not sure it's going to be a campaign. Though I don't think they understand what's happening. And then I saw a post on Facebook from Charlotte, which was something like. Uh, yeah, I love my first game of Cthulhu, I've lost twenty-seven sanity already. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's good that you're free and you feel you feel happy to do that. Um, but but I fear that you're going to come to a swift end. <laughs> Learn about the other aspects of Call of Cthulhu, which is making new characters, which perhaps you're not used to in D anD d as much. But yeah, it's, it's, it's good that that's out there so, and the freeing in a way. Because I think oh, we've discussed before, isn't it? One of the problems you can have with or challenges perhaps of players at, at conventions is they can be a bit too world-weary with it. So it's good getting the, the new blood in or having new ways of approaching the game that don't mean people bring along all their own prejudices and the, we know what the tropes are of Cthulhu, so we're going to do these various things and you know, not share, but not read books because we might go mad or things like that. It's good getting new blood in. that will just do what their character would do without the fear of consequences.
2: Yeah, there's that, that kind of whole... Get, what is it? I don't know. Do you call it metagaming? I don't know. But that kind of, you know, we, we yeah, I think we've all seen it at conventions. You're building a game and and it kind of, you kind of, you have this happy middle ground. And then you have these two extremes I've found. You have the extreme that you've described, Gaz, which is the people who kind of like, no, I don't want to go in the cave. I don't want to go down the cellar because I know, you know, despite that's where the adventure is and quite clearly that's where the adventure is and where the game is going to be. <laughs> that don't want to engage with that because they're like, Oh no, I might you know I might die or something like that. And and then you have the other extreme where they want to do every single thing. So despite having spent two hours doing a lot of research and running around and talking to people and basically getting the you know getting the meat of the plot together and going like, okay, so it is it is X is happening at this location at nine o'clock tonight and he is the villain or this is the cult and we know exactly where they're gonna be and what they need to do and what we need to do to stop them. They'll then go before before we go, though, uh, we'll just go and interview these other people we never got round to, just to fill in, because <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a bit of both. <laughs> They're trying to avoid getting to the end, but equally they don't miss anything either. So it's kind of like, well, well, it's, it's five minutes to nine, guys, In the other side of the city. Do you want, <laughs> you, you know, what do you want to do?
0: <laughs> yeah, traffic at this time. Like, you want to get going, really.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It, it's a bit like, I think of it a bit like if you're playing d d and it's like, well, there's a dungeon, and everyone stood outside going like, oh, I'm not sure I'm going to go in there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll just sit outside, maybe. We'll just outside and have some lunch, really. It's exactly... Yeah, sort of missing the point. It's <laughs> kind of like, well, the point is in the dungeon, isn't it, with this game, yeah. isn't it? And so it's the same with Cthulhu. It's that the, the point is there's a plot, and your character's a part of this plot, and, and if you choose not to engage, then that is your you know, prerogative. However... Don't be alarmed if everyone else has fun and you're sat doing nothing, because that's the nature of the role play. It's the nature of a shared experience and a shared story you're sharing. If you decide to go and tell your own story, which is in opposition to the actual main story that everyone else is enjoying, then it kind of defeats the point, really. So, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's something. As you get more older, you you tend to see things from a slightly different perspective. But for me nowadays, it's like, like, you know, if I'm playing in the game, like I want to, you know, I throw my characters into despair and, and danger all the time because that's more fun. You know, if they die, great. You know, that, I, I played part of the story. You know, that's, that's a more memorable experience for me to me to actually have something happen rather than nothing happen and just to avoid the plot. So yeah, it's a bit tricky. I mean, you don't. I mean, I have to say that majority of players, I you know, if I don't do that and you know, have a great game with, but over time, there's been one or two that <laughs> I just sat there mystified, going like, "Well, everyone else is having a good time. I'm not sure you are. But I'm, not, I'm not sure how how much more I can pull you into this if you're actively trying to not go into the cellar." <laughs> Quite.
0: Uh, I noticed as well there's a there's a colour cathedral launch party happening in Chimera Leisure this weekend. That's which is my friendly local gaming store I, I believe someone's running a game there. Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah, I
2: got uh yes. Yes, am I'm, I'm down now on Saturday and it's Andy, isn't it, who uh, runs a store. That's right, yeah, That's and, right. and me and Andy had a good chat and uh what with the, the you know, the starter box coming out, we kind of said "Well, it'd be cool to kind of have a little bit of a Cthulhu Day to kind of just celebrate the launch of that and just you know uh, generate a bit of interest with the store and in the product and so on. So yeah, I'll pop you down. I'm running a game for I think five people. I've got two scenarios to take because I'm not sure what I'm going to run or what they want to play and who they are even. So I'll just turn up and run something and then... I think Andy's sort of built in a bit of time for a bit of, you know, Q&A, and, and if people want me to deface their books with a signature or something like that, then uh, I'll be doing that as well. But, uh, yeah, so it's just a really, you know, cool to kind of hang out in... It's Nottingham's only real kind of, as you might call, old-school gaming store, I guess, you know, that's like that's a right, gaming... Yeah. actually like a proper gaming store. So it's nice to support, you know, support the bricks and mortar stores in that way. So uh, so I'm looking forward to it. It should be good. Yeah, and if... Uh, so this won't be out before then, will it? Or will it? <laughs> oh, I, I, I wouldn't say no. That's, that's a challenge
0: now. I, I reckon I can do it. We need to record an alternate ending, just, just in case. So how was it, mate? <laughs> yeah, no, you should have fun down there. It's, Andy's really doing a great job at promoting role-playing generally, and, and that's always been his passion, so it's good to see that with the improvement of role-playing generally like worldwide and how it's all taken off, he can embrace that. Because when he first started the story, it was more about uh, comics and card games and stuff like that, because that was what was selling, basically. But um, he does, a think, old Twisted Narrative, and I've been you know, following on Facebook. And I think he posted it's something like Game 42 or something he's up to this year. So probably <laughs> the first week of February. And, and he's already hitting a rate of about eight games That's a fantastic. week. Wow, that, That's fantastic.
2: Wow. It did actually pop in this last Saturday, because um one of the local kind of role play groups that's a uh, chap chap called matt Baratons in it who who i know who've uh, run games with in the past was i'd organized a kind of call of cthulhu charity event for mind and um so they were running uh various games and uh they had a kind of a charity raffle so i, I popped in and, and dropped off some prizes for them and uh, it looked great, I mean, you know, it was great to walk in and see a store with lots of, you know and it was basically, there was no card games going on it was just all role play on a Saturday in a gaming store, It's like, I've gone back 20 years, it's brilliant it's like, but but it's great, but it does seem more and more that, you know, there was that kind of period I don't know, 5, 10 years ago where you'd walk into a gaming store and it would pretty much be on a Saturday card tournament, and I'm sure that still takes place, cool, but it's nice to also see that tabletop games are sharing that space now as well yeah,
0: definitely. So, talking of game stores and things you might sell, though, we've already touched upon the the starter set. What else is new with Chaosium right now? What else have you got in the pipeline?
2: Well, I mean, talk about the Cthulhu stuff. I mean, obviously, um, I, I know of interest to you guys is things like Pendragon, which is obviously coming in to the uh, <laughs> back, back into the Cares in Fold.
1: Yeah, to, my, to myself as well. I'm sort of partway through the Great Pendragon campaign at the moment. Oh,
2: awesome. Uh, So, yeah, we've got um, Dave Larkins, who's a a, a great writer and also a a fantastic editor, who's going to be kind of heading that line up uh, with with Pendragon. Uh, To be honest, I'm not sure. I I mean, uh, that's probably as much as I know at this point in time because... um, Oh, come on, (laughs) (laughs) mate. So, I mean, obviously, it wasn't that long ago since uh, a new edition of the game came out. You know, I was looking through it actually the other day thinking this is actually one of the best versions of Pendragon I've seen in terms of just clarity and conciseness and, and you know the way the the rules are presented I thought it was great so I'm not sure it, you know what's in David's mind in terms of whether there's going to be a change to that going forward I mean I'm sure down the line he'll be looking to do a, a, a new version but I, I don't know how long and far away that is probably some years but I know he's got a lot of ideas and plans for the line but I just can't say what they are at the moment, but um, but you should get David on. I mean, he'll, he'll, I'm sure he'll tell you. For, <laughs> rather than me rambling, he'll just tell you what he's what, he's, what he wants to do. So you uh, should definitely line that one up because uh, that would be good. So yeah, Pendragon. Obviously, I think we've just seen some photos that came out of uh, some of the uh, print proofs and copies of the of RuneQuest with the the RuneQuest slipcase. So you've got the rule book and as well as the keeper screen and scenario pack and things like that. That's now, I think, heading into warehouses. You know, we've had the, the rule book out for a little while, but this is all the supplementary kind of, you know, gubbins, that, you know, the core kind of material to to really get you started. So that's coming out soon, and that's obviously followed by a, a big tale of uh, of other, you know, RuneQuest product coming out that Jason uh, Jarrell is, you know, masterminding. We've got board games. We've, I think, the Miskatonic University kind of card straight board game. Mm. I think hitting warehouses as so we speak and obviously that's going out to the Kickstarter backers who back that particular game first and, and then adding into distribution in the next couple of months, I imagine. And that that's really cool. And we've got another another game following that up. And and then kind of brings me around to Connie call, like call of Cthulhu and things we've got. I mean we've we've just recently released the cover image of Secrets of Berlin which is mm. the kind of Weimar 1920s era Berlin, which is, you know, specifically a kind of a a setting book for the city of Berlin rather than, you know, the entirety of Germany. And so we've got a lot of kind of detail on the city itself, what was happening in the 1920s, the kind of political and occult societies, as well as the kind of cabaret culture, which, you know, is obviously defines Berlin at that period quite you know, in public perception. We've got a lot of that, and obviously... On top of that or, or you know festering underneath it rather you've got like the, a lot of mythos content with scenario seeds and uh three quite large scenarios that kind of feature different aspects of the kind of berlin of the of the twenties uh whether it's uh kind of cabaret culture to filmmaking and, and so on and they're all pretty you know t- well the first one's pretty grim and dark the others aren't far behind and they uh, <laughs> they're they're, re- they're really cool they're really they they kind of Go out of their way to be a little bit off the wall, be, given the nature of Berlin being a quite off the wall place in, the, in that period. Uh, the kind of scenarios echo that kind of the, the milieu of, of, of the setting.
0: I mean, Loewich is, Oh, I probably butchered his name. Apologies if I have the week. Low-Each. Yeah, so that that cover. oh, right, I'm buying the book
2: regardless. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <it's> like, <laughs> yeah, I was very pleased. He was empty, but <laughs> very pleased with how that came out. Yeah, I kind of, uh, kind of. I'd, I'd kind of written up some kind of loose notes about oh something like this and dave larkin to uh, sort of said oh yeah this sort of thing would be cool I'm like, oh yeah that sounds really good let's write that up and and uh i sent that over to uh, to louis and uh, and then he kind of did the did the blinder really it's amazing it was a great just looking at it right now that's a very nice cover <laughs> I think somebody moaned that there was too many tentacles and said, well, it's a Call of Cthulhu got <laughs> people, people are just thinking it's a book on the 1920s. It needs to, it's a game book. So it's got a bit of tentacle action going on. Yeah, but, kind of a given know. there, really.
0: <laughs>
2: you need to take his Call of Cthulhu card off him. That person's not allowed <laughs> to Yeah, so I'm really pleased with that. And that's currently in layout at the moment. Where are we now? Beginning of February. So we'll hopefully have the PDF out you know, sometime early-ish, mid-March, uh, all being well. And then, you know, the print to follow it, you know, about three months later. What else have we got? We've got about to, well, about to be sent to print is Shadows Over Stillwater, which is the Call of Cthulhu Wild West Down Darker Trails. It's a three-part campaign plus an additional kind of scenario which could be played as part of the campaign or stand on its own. And uh, also it comes with a, a mining sort of setting, which is kind of fully detailed kind of mining town in the West. Various kind of mythos, kind of uh, options you kind of plug into it as you wish. But that's that's really cool. It's lots. Uh, it's very kind of. Whilst it's kind of written for straight Call of Cthulhu, uh, it kind of works for pulp as well. Pulp Cthulhu with various kind of optional kind of pulp elements in there. I'm currently working on Harlem and Bound, the second edition. Chris Spivey, obviously the author, Harlem and Bound, first edition, which won a, won a few awards last year. any award winning, yeah, and. Uh, Chris has kind of worked hard on revising the text and updating the text and adding to it, expanding it somewhat for a second edition, which is kind of uh, going to be released through Chaosium. Um And um, I'm just in the process of kind of editing and, and working on the text that uh, Chris has supplied. The other project I'm currently kind of working side by side on, um, well, when I finish Harlem, I'll get back into it properly. Is is the um, update and revision of Cathedral by Gaslight, which is the victorian era called cthulhu so it's predominantly kind of centered on kind of england but i want to kind of try and broaden it a little bit so it's not so we you know we maybe you know, see europe and obviously with down darker trails being a an american west of the same period it, i kind of want to i'm not sure i could do it in one book but i can see down the line there being a kind of like an east coast version of gaslight straight down darker trails so you've got the kind of the east coast sort of thing going on so you've got this for that period of play you aren't just kind of focused on London necessarily you know you can actually travel across and end up in a a wild west story if you want just like real people did in in the time period so Gaslight is kind of on the cards at the moment Um, and then when I get a chance I'll be working on the the new edition of Dreamlands but that's that'll be later this year (laughs)
0: That's just on the posting note now, right?
2: Yeah, the, yeah, you're a busy man. Oh, sorry, yeah, the one thing I forgot, one thing I forgot, the one thing I just finished editing that's going to be that's going into art direction at the moment is um a cold fire within which is a pulp Cthulhu campaign written by Chris Smith Adair and it's a um it's not quite as large as two of the serpent but it's it's still fairly chunky and its concerns it's set in the 1930s, America, and it de- and it particularly focuses on psychic powers, which are uh, in the Pulp rulebook are kind of an optional kind of thing you can bolt into Pulp Cthulhu if you want to have psychic powers in the game with the investigators or, or NPCs. So this campaign kind of embraces that. So there is a lot of psychic powers going on whether it's whether it's the, you know, the villains or, or you know, the PCs can, can potentially have them too in that in that regard. And it deals with hollow earths and uh the secret world of Kenyan, which Lovecraft wrote about in the mound and things like that. And so you kind of are, you know, thrust into a thrust into an exhibition into the into the, the middle of the earth and there's time travel involved and monsters and mastodons and all sorts of craziness. So that's 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 a lot of fun. And we're just, as I say, starting to do the art for that now. So I'm looking forward to seeing that come through. because sort of, pulp art, you can kind of pull out the stops a little bit, into the, a little bit more manic and crazy in terms of the uh, what's depicted. So it's less, less people looking studious over books, and more kind of hacking at dragons or mastodons or whatever it may be. So yeah.
1: solved, basically, on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if, if I if, when I do get around to running Call of Cthulhu, I eventually will, it will probably be more towards the pulpy side of things because that's just my sensibility, really, as a GM. Sure. So. That sounds pretty good to me. Dinosaurs and Hollow Earth and things like that.
2: Yeah, it's all good, it's all good stuff.
1: <laughs> so I'm just thinking about um,
0: writing and stuff like that, because you've got the Miskatonic repository thing going on as well, haven't you? Yeah. Kind of Where people can produce their own work. So how does, how does that work exactly? And what do you... Obviously, you must get a lot of text across your desk anyway, and proposals for different ideas and things like that. So how do you work out what's going to be useful as a core product and what might be something that you say to someone... Do you know what you go crazy on this and release it via under your own Steam to a certain extent, or <laughs> what, you know, or is it just whatever takes you fancy at the time, or is it you know, your
2: bad wind that you've got, or what happens with that? It's it's a really good question actually because the Mississauga University, in case you know people are not sure what it is, it's basically part. It's basically a a sub store of the Curiousium page on Drive Through RPG, so it allows people to basically upload their own scenarios or. Call of content, set a price for it, and then people can buy the PDF. And um, and then you know uh, I think it's fifty percent goes to the original creator, and then a percentage goes to Drive Through for the you know hosting, and then a, a bit comes to Casium as well for owning the game. So it's very it's very creative in that sense. We you know we don't have kind of oversight in the, in the fact that we don't we don't sort of see what's going up on it in terms of for approvals. We just have the, you know, there's a few guidelines that you, you get from, you can download from the site. We provide a lot of artwork packs on there for people to kind of fancify their, their products up with and use uh, for no charge. And it's very much a kind of, you know, a community community market in that sense. But in terms of, you know, what choosing, what gets made into a, a Cares and published book as opposed to what might come out on the Miskatonic repository, basically obviously when I'm deciding on a book for the main line there's obviously some considerations you know you have to make and this would be, be the same for any RPG publisher to some degree um, in the fact that you know how does where does it fit in the line you know does it have a place does it have an audience are we able to sell this book and not make a loss on it basically you know so that you know there are the kind of you know the very hardcore kind of you know fundamentals and the other considerations there be where does this fit in curzium and is, is it is it is it a strong part of the line or is it actually something that's a bit more fringe so that's that's kind of the core consideration so if somebody had to say has written a, uh i'm trying to think now some uh civil war england scenario for instance which um sounds you know great period of history if you're into that kind of thing but not exactly mainstream in terms of our core market, which is 1920s, 30s, period-era Call of Cthulhu. So it sits outside of that mainstream. And so we need to, to have a fairly strong kind of proposition that that we feel it would make it break even and, and, and turn a profit in terms of putting it as a main book. And it may be quite a small scenario; It may only be, you know, 10,000 words, which, you know, we could put out a very slim volume, but those historically... Kind of get lost on gaming store shelves and things like that, and you know don't don't quite have the same kind of promotion and marketability as as you know some of the you know more standard sized RPG books. So those that that kind of thing, we would probably say, well, let's we'd suggest we'd recommend to the author concerned that 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 you know might be a good fit for the repository because it then uh, you know it, it then is out there, people can play it, and the author can get some feedback and see how it does. Obviously, it also allows us to kind of market test it to some degree. And if we suddenly find that actually everyone everyone in the world now wants to play Civil War, England, call Cthulhu scenarios, so we think, well, that sounds good. I mean, maybe we should talk to the author concerned and say, hey, maybe we could um, write some more, put some more stuff together, actually make it into a more uh, attractive kind of proposition as an actual book, and and then take it that way. So it's a, in a sense, it allows you know things that are a little bit fringe or a little bit odd to go on there. It allows... You know the other, and the other consideration is obviously who you know who's written it. In that sense, is it is it is it someone is it someone's first attempt at a, at a call? Look at the least scenario, and you know. And to be fair, not everyone can write a completely cracking first scenario the first time they try one. Uh, it normally takes a bit of experience and and having done it a few times, just like writing fiction, to to get one. Occasionally, there are people that will. Right, the first thing they write is gold, and it's all wonderful. But in the main, all, all the rest of us unlucky souls all have to kind of work at it. So again, the Misquamicut repository is a great place to kind of put, you know, your first kind of first attempts at scenarios, get feedback, refine them, and develop your writing and experience. Uh, so you you know your story gets played a lot it gets talked about a lot your name gets mentioned and you know people like myself line editors take notice and say well that that's how doing really well i should have a look at it and look at it myself and they oh i can see that oh yeah and they've written something else now maybe we should have a chat to them about if they want to write something specifically for us now so again it's a, it's a good way of trying out you know trying things out and uh just getting your work out there to that in that in that degree there's never one easy answer, it's a bit, all these kind of things all kind of factor in, if, it, if that makes sense. Yeah, sure. So what, I suppose one of the
0: things uh, probably worth mentioning is um, Greg Stafford was a big part of Chaosium obviously, and sadly he passed last year, but there still seems to be a lot of stuff going about him, or things he said or people doing dedications to him and that kind of thing. Uh, how has that kind of transition affected Chaosium, obviously losing him but then also the outpouring from fans
2: and and the other work that surrounds his lifetime's work, if you know what I mean. Sure, uh, I mean obviously, Greg's effect on the company is 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 not only historic, but it was also present and continues uh, in terms of you know Greg's kind of ethos and and the way he went about things. In terms of you know when he when he when he was directly running the company to to when he was you know uh, you know the chairman of the board and and kind of you know. Directing the company, but you know from a remove effectively, not really involved in the day to day but obviously still still very much part of the company and and, and an influence upon it so obviously that it was a, it was a shock to us all uh, you know with his passing um and what's been fantastic is not only you know at the time but as you say that continues now is that greg's legacy is still being kept alive that 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 you know that people. Recognize his contribution to, you know, to gaming as well as all the other things he did. But obviously, with we, which we're at the gaming side, that that he, you know, he had a, a major contribution to the hobby that we all play. Um, and whether you played any of his games or not, that influence can be felt across many other games as well. That you know came to either imitate or draw inspiration from, or or, or whatever it may be, whether from its Greg's own work or from the man himself. You know, you you you, talk, you know, you see John Wick will will post things all the time about, you know, where I, I was talking to some young indie game designers telling me about this fantastic system and then, you know, I just reminded him, well I told him that he didn't know that well, Greg Stafford had done that twenty years ago and you know so it's it's <laughs> it's um it's all there. I think for me, one of the things that kind of I think that stays with me in terms of how Greg's approach to work uh because i think i think you know it stays with because it's very it's always been kind of partly my kind of ideology too but it was great to kind of have it reinforced by greg and to kind of see it working in practice was that his kind of his understanding and his appreciation for the the role of the creator in what we do because um without the creator in what we do we there is nothing that we do do in that sense if no one is writing no one is drawing no one is playing then there isn't a games hobby and there isn't a games industry so Greg held artists and writers particularly in in very high regard and and one of the things he was very clear about when um, he came you know back into the company with a much more hands-on role a few years back was to really you know say you know we really need to stop what was what had been happening in some of the years previous where you know there were writers who hadn't really been paid or artists who had not been paid and things like that which is just unacceptable in any line of work and so you know he was very clear about you know ensuring that you know we were um you know we were we were backtracking and you know even despite none of the people that worked for him then or now Having anything to do with the, the previous kind of administration, in that sense, we wanted to go back and fix any kind of problems or mistakes or, or whatever however you want to term it that had happened, because we wanted to we wanted to kind of wipe, wipe the slate clean and, and say this isn't what cares him about because that's isn't what cares was and it shouldn't have been, and we want to make sure it isn't again. So things like that, ensuring that people get proper credit. I mean. I know there are other RPG companies that do this, but certainly it's not. I don't see it in every book is what we try to do in in our products is put clear credit. So not only here's the top lines of the names of people who have done the key things in the book, but actually a lot of the times when you're dealing with a system that's 30 plus years old, people are reusing material, drawing inspiration from other material that's happened in the past. And actually recognizing that in terms of credits and saying that you know this is this material, whilst it's been rewritten and done by X, it's based on some work done by this person in the back in the past, and we should recognize that. So, due credit to people, um, you know, I'm, I'm I'm very keen to always make sure people's names are on the front of books, you know, their authors the, and so on. That you know, we should let people know who they are. Rather than being hidden away on the back page or something like that, and again, you don't see that in every game book from every company. Uh, I think it's important, and that that's Greg's le- legacy still living on is the fact that you know people get credit for where where credit is due in that sense. So I mean, there's under one different things you could say, but they're the things that kind of I notice every day if you see what I mean in terms of how, how Greg kind of uh, influences yeah. the work that we do now.
0: Yeah, I thought it was really touching as well to see from his family that the the, the message that came out after is the way of remembering. Was yeah. to go out and play a game. like that was the that yes. was the whole ethos. Is like go and play some games yourself. Like this, this is what he'd want you to do. And, and what it's because it is all about playing games. I think you touched on it earlier. You were saying it's about creating stuff. That was really his drive. And it's not about having fifty-seven different collector's editions on your shelf or anything like that. It's about doing stuff. Yes, yeah. that's, that's the thing. You know, getting enjoyment. No, definitely, definitely. Cool. Well, talking of connecting with other people, you might want to skirt around. Some of the previous issues, but I notice you've got a new French and Spanish publisher that you're going to be working with now. And I've always seen from um, from the old days, I say the old days, maybe five or ten years ago, when there was French editions of a book or German ones, they always like had amazing art and had, you know, looked really cool books, sometimes better than the original published ones, if you know what I mean. So, so what's the deal with your, your new partners and, and what's brought that about? What well, as much as you can tell us without having, having to
2: give away commercial secrets or anything else that might
0: restrict you. Michael
2: O'Brien has, has uh, done a great job of trying to keep people up to speed and informed about some of the kind of um, decisions we've had to make. Because At the end of the day, we don't want to kind of like you'd know, be working in secret in that way. You know, if there's something public we can say, but we, you know, we, we want to keep people you know involved in the company in that sense. Cause there's a, there's a, you know, particularly the company's oldest cares and with the kind of products that we put out. There is a, particularly, you know, the hardcore fan base, you know, they don't just feel, they're not just fans of the games. They, they are kind of part of the company in that sense, of a, a sense of ownership. So it's, it's, you know, where we can, obviously, keep people informed. So, I mean, what's certainly public is that uh, the, the former licensee for the French language editions of Call of Cthulhu, unfortunately, for whatever reason, hadn't really been submitting their, their royalties to Kyrgyzium for as a licensee they had run some successful Kickstarters and uh, published some great content and some, and some, you know, great books over the years. And, uh, you know, so we were quite saddened to see this situation arise and obviously spent some time trying to, you know, communicate and resolve the situation. Unfortunately, that didn't really conclude in a positive way. So we were forced, the license actually expired. Uh, and so rather than renew the license, we, we chose to not renew the license. Um, so, uh, what we did do, though, is grant the firm a limited license because they still had an, a Kickstarter ongoing that they were due to deliver. So we didn't want we didn't want the actual French fans and the fans, uh, you know, the, the the people that bought into that Kickstarter to to uh, lose out because of our decision. So we we grant we've granted a kind of a limited license to allow those books to those uh, Kickstarter backers to to be fulfilled therein it closes as it were so it's only the, you know, the backers have actually spent their money on this to, to 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 get there get what's due to them and um so but now we will be working with edge entertainment who we already work with we we they're actually our spanish licensee uh who are part of the asmodee group so they also obviously work in france as well so we'll be working with the edge guys for both the spanish language and the french editions of call of cthulhu going forwards uh, which is great i don't know if you've ever seen the um the previous edition of call of cthulhu in spain but it's uh, it was the kind of one of those unusual format rpg books it was a square book
0: yeah like a coffee table kind of like thing like a coffee table book oh, and uh,
2: cool. and it was absolutely gorgeous art and um mm. and they've done a great job so i'm really you know excited to see what they do when they kind of go Full scene with the you know the new edition in in both languages in that respect. Um, so it's you know so exciting times. We've got um, Black Monk in Poland who are releasing well released some pieces of Call of Cthulhu in Poland, uh, which is very exciting and um, and others you know other licensees i I'm clearly am forgetting to mention, but, and. Um, you know, they're they're doing great work and they're they're running a convention in Poland in March and there's it's gonna be English language for the majority and so people from around the world are going to that to kind of celebrate the kind of launch of Call of the Cathedral in Poland. So it's, it's you know, it's an exciting time in that respect, uh, particularly you know, working through our licensees. Going back on one of the points you ra- mentioned, guys, was about, you know, back in back a few years back, you know, you go on forums and, and Kerism was releasing maybe one book a year out of all the ranges that so it was kind of you know trundling along but not really doing anything and and they'd come out in in kind of you know quality 1980s black and white uh, soft back with varying degrees of art is probably the best way to put it you know some yeah some some, some really nice pieces in there and some not so nice pieces and in, in, some for all tastes weren't they <laughs> you know which were just a symptom of the times unfortunately so you know, you go to the forum and say, "Why? Why can't you put out books like the French do? Why can't you you why can't you know why? What books like that? And go, well, I'd, I'd like them too, you know." <laughs> so um, <laughs> when uh, when I actually joined Curzon you know, the you know decision was made that we would, you know, for any main release, it would be you know hardback, uh, full color, and that we would invest in things like cartography, invest in art. and and try and bring that up to a quality level just as we were trying to do with the text as well so you know it was a a holistic kind of approach and it's that and that's always an ongoing thing you know it doesn't stop you know we're always trying to improve like you know like we've tried to do the secrets of berlin you're trying to get the covers better you don't you know we don't you know covers are hard to do but you know when you do it right you know when you do it wrong you kind of know as well so you're trying to always trying to like you know improve the quality and, and, and the look of things but um the irony is, of course, is we're doing you know full color things, the best art we've ever done, the best maps being produced by people like Matt Ryan and, uh, and Vandal and Olivier and uh, and so on. You know, they really are you know pieces of art in themselves. And um, and I you know I open one of our books and I look at some of the older kind of foreign license editions and you know they they still look good. I look at mine and go, well, they're still all black and white. This is full color. That's basically just full of period photographs that mostly a low res, but you know you know, aren't that great. I think I think we're doing okay, you know, I'm not saying it's necessarily better than that, or you know, but I think it's certainly on a par if not improving. So you know, it does make me smile when I look on the forum and see somebody who says, Well, I wish they still did it in black and white like the old days and <laughs> it's like ah, I ah, I understand ah, the ah, sentiment. Ah, <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, I've got a solution, but, for it. it's been kind of like you, 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 whatever you do, someone's not going to be happy. You know, if we if we just if it's all <laughs> yeah. black and white, it'd be like why are we doing in color? Now we're well, doing in color, or it should be in black and white. You can't win, so you just have to go whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've got a solution for them guys. What they need to do is get the PDF
0: and print it at home. I away. think I might have my mind <laughs> once or twice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i got to a print shop and get it perfect bound and everything. You, have. So, so it's all still there for you. them. So, uh, Ian, are you, are you still playing um, the Cthulhu card game? Oh yes, I am. It's fantastic. I, I'm a bit behind on it. So, uh, yeah. How do you think that's going at the minute? And, and do you think there's any crossover there? for getting people into the role-playing game or how does it feel to you compared to playing Cthulhu as a role-playing game uh
1: well like I say I'm really I've only played a couple of scenarios in the past uh, of the role-playing game I've played a couple with Scott Dorward in the past um well if you're gonna play with someone that's a good you're gonna play with someone <laughs> one, of, one of my first one of my first games at continuum um way way back was with Scott um the prisoner one where the bu- prisoner bus crashes the one he ran there Psychopaths everywhere, just general general madness, Scott Dorwood kind of scenario. Great fun. And yeah. I, I met a lot of friends, in, including like Gaz and Julian and people like that down there. Uh but yeah, the uh so the Arkham Horror LCG that's been going for three years now. It's now it's on its just launched its fourth campaign box set. Uh so they've like released a core set and six scenario packs that tell a story through the the whole of it. And uh it's certainly on I think it's probably on the pulpier side of things. But it depends on each box. So, like, they had a set called *Path to Carcosa*, which was much more in the sort of horror, not quite knowing what was going on, King in Yellow, all that kind of stuff. And that felt much more like sort of mental, sort of horror kind of stuff than any of the pulpy stuff. *Forgotten Ages* just finished up, and that's much more pulpy, South American jungles, Aztec civilizations, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and but yeah, I, I think I think it's good. I think it's a good introduction to the mythos in general. Yeah. I agree. I, I, I don't know. Are you? Are you sort of Mike? I don't know if you're seeing sort of crossover from sort of Fancy Flights um, Ranger products because they've got they've got Arkham Horror third board games just come out. Uh, obviously, the Arkham Horror card game's still going. on, They've got Eldritch Horror. They've, they've they're really they're, they're really putting out a lot of product that's Mythos
2: related. I Don't know if you're seeing any crossover into. Yeah, I'm seeing a little bit. I mean, I've been playing. The uh, the Arkham card game for 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 a while now. I've been playing an ongoing campaign with um, John French, who so you, you may have heard of from some called the Cthulhu Saris and Black Library books. So we've been playing through as a campaign uh, through all the all the various settings of the uh, the card sets. Currently, we're kind of just over halfway through the Cthulhu one. And um, cool. yeah, as an aside, I, I find the game great. I really enjoy the game. I think it's it's probably for me one of the closest kind of Emulations of the tabletop role-playing game. That in terms of in terms of yeah. for a, what you might call a, a card slash board game, there is because um, I think there's some very interesting clever mechanics that are designed around the kind of style of scenario you're playing. You know, the ones where uh, there's a scenario where you're on a train and you're. You know, going along the carriages, and and again, the, the 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 werewolf one where you've got to do various things, and and yeah. they they do a very good job of trying to emulate that kind of tabletop experience to some degree. Obviously, it's never quite the same because it's much more structured and rigid in the approach. Yeah it's got to be because that's the nature of the game. Um, so I, I think I think that uh, they're really great, and I, I'm certainly seeing I certainly see on a few forums every now and again somebody who is. Been playing those, or been playing the Arkham Horror board game. Who we are saying, yeah, well, we, we're going to try Call of the tonight or you know, and the, and the you know. And I certainly see a bit of that. I don't know how much of a crossover there is either way, uh, but um, mm. but you know, at the end of the day, I'm old-fashioned, and it's kind of like um, we are gamers. It's like when I went to, I went to Games Workshop. You know, oh yes, we all did tabletop wargaming, but you know, many of us also played card games and magic and role played. And I think that's the same for everyone else in the world. I think, you know, we all play different games. We play games. We play whatever's on the table most of the time. And um, sometimes, you know, it takes a bit of a nudge or somebody to turn up with a, you know, with a scenario and say, hey, we're going to do role-playing tonight. Don't be scared. And um, to get it going. But, you know, it's certainly once you've played the Arkhamara game or the Arkhamara card game or Outreach Horror or whatever it may be, you are in the Venn diagram of... Going, yeah, I'll give Call of Cthulhu a try or D and D or whatever it may be, and um, so I think yeah. you know, I think it all helps. It's like you know, it's the old adage with D D&D. and D. If D and D is doing well, the whole market's doing well, and it's the same you know, you know, with board games and card games and so on. If you know, if you're into those kind of things, then you're not a million miles away on the gaming table at the convention to me playing Call of Cthulhu or whatever. And so and sometimes that will cross over, so which is you know, which is great because you know, we all like playing different things.
0: Yeah. Yeah, talking of um, different sort of formats and stuff, one of the things we were talking to Mike Mills about last time as well is he, he pointed out that he thinks Cold the would be really good in the sort of actual player podcast format because, you know, streaming and all that kind of stuff's really big and getting a lot of people into the hobby. So are there any sort of plans from your end about how you might do more of that? I know Scott there was sort of doing something with the How We Roll podcast as a... Running through two-headed serpents and that kind of thing, but have you any thoughts on kind of other formats, like doing something digital or having an official stream about you know live games or anything like that?
2: There's a, I mean, there's a lot of Call of Cthulhu live stream, live play going on already. There's a lot, a lot of groups who are doing it, and some of them are kind of you know really kind of starting to edge up that kind of quality level and in terms of their presentation and, and, and formats. The Into the darkness, how we roll? I'm going to forget someone. Uh, you know, I'll but two, but there are many others who are doing great jobs, and and there's ones who are kind of almost it's almost not a game anymore. It's actually like a radio drama, and so on. So I think there are a lot of things out there already happening. Uh has just recently started a Twitch stream, which is sort of just starting to kind of slowly kind of start to roll and to you know put out different sorts of styles of content. We've had type 40 who do a lot of uh, prop stuff doing you know how to make some Cthulhu props and things like that we've had you know games going on uh, and that will continue uh, you know we've got our YouTube sort of stream as well with various things going off yes is the answer is yeah we want to do more but obviously what you've got to bear in mind is obviously we're a very very small company we're, it's, we're not wizards or you know Hasbro in the sense of having a large amount of people that you know who are you know I, I'm I'm the Twitch specialist and <laughs> I spend all my time filling content with that. We haven't got anyone in that in that same level in terms of uh, in terms of their resource to, to be able to do that. So uh, we have we've got Jamie in Australia who does a who helps us out and does a and and, and does do some work for us in that regard. We're still it's still a, sort of a learning curve for us, I think, and um, as a company. Uh, so we you know we're just trying to do what we can and. and Build on that, you know, but you know, cross platform things is 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 what we're excited about as well. You know, not only kind of you know, tabletop books and games in that sense, but you know, we've got uh, work with the guys at Metro Arcade who do the Cthulhu Chronicles uh, phone app, which is a series of Call of Cthulhu scenarios, you know, solo play that you can play on your phone, and we've got the licensee Call of Cthulhu. Video game, video game—is that really old-fashioned? To the PS3, Xbox, you know, PC games—that like that, that kind of thing. <laughs> video games, um, you know. So there's a lot of people playing Call of Cthulhu in a lot of different ways, and we're trying to capture that and encourage other people to capture that in terms of you know what they're doing online in that sense. So, and I just think it's one of those areas that we know it's a growth area across the board for tabletop game, and we know that it's this kind of not so new thing that actually allows people to kind of understand what role playing is by just watching it, where it's you know me and you, you two didn't have in the day. We just, had, we got the book with our mates, we read it and we played it and we just assumed we were doing it right. And in fact, I don't know if you're like me, but I remember I was about age 12. I was having a conversation with my mate and we you know, been playing D and D or something. And, I think we were talking about we would seen some advert for Gen Con, which was some mark, you know, another world away that we would never get to, and we sort of said, "Oh, it'd be really great to go and see how people pro- how people properly play this game," because we just said we don't know if we're doing it right at all. We just do what we think. Happily, we found out just like everyone else, we were doing it right because <laughs> that's how you do it. Um, but um, <laughs> but nowadays people can just go on youtube or listen to a podcast or whatever and just get a sense of what what is this game about what it is how do you play it and uh and so having a diversity of media in that regard with a diversity of people playing it just makes it more accessible you know in terms of role playing as, as a whole and color calidus specifically but um it just makes it more accessible, which is what we've always wanted, isn't it? We've, we've, I mean, we've had conversations in the years past about how do you get more people role playing? How, how you know, is the hobby dying? You know, the perennial, the perennial, dying, yeah. the <laughs> yeah. perennial uh, seminar at, at UK game shows for you know ten years ago and beyond was there was there would always be a one on is role playing dying, and and every year you go in and go like, <laughs> no, it's not, and. <laughs> and leave and and, and the nice talk. talk. But, <laughs> but yeah, every year that was the same debate. And, and what's really encouraging to see is I've not seen that come up as a seminar title for the last five years, which is brilliant because it never was. It wasn't yeah, dying before, it isn't dying now. So. <laughs> You
1: know. <laughs> yeah, now now it's all now it's all seminars on how, how to put your D and D streaming session together and that kind of thing. <laughs> it's, it's still I mean, it's still mind blowing to me that people will like twenty thousand people will sit in a theatre and watch people live on stage play Dungeons and Dragons or whatever. Yeah. That is just just totally mind blowing. It is it Fantastic. It, but it is mind blowing. I mean
2: at the end of the day, what are we doing? We're telling stories, aren't we? I and mean, we whatever we do, we're telling stories yeah. and we and actually you just stop and think about actually that's a really accessible thing if it's a story it's accessible because it's what we humanity has done for years and years in a variety of media before we even get to here so i guess it we, just, we it's just because we're old school and we're kind of like well it's just a game where we play and we have a laugh with our mates suddenly realizing there's actually people enjoy watching it and, and get engaged with our characters or the the plot or whatever it, it's, a, it's a it's a revelation but but one we're all vastly becoming very accustomed to I think in the sense because it, because of the, the popularity of, of it being presented in that way
0: Yeah I think I think it's great I remember one of the seminars from I think it was Continuum 2000 or something like that, it was ages ago and Charlie Crank was presenting it and I think I asked him like you know are you going to do PDFs of the books and he was like no no someone <laughs> might pirate them and like totally forbooted the idea that Chaosium would ever do PDFs because people might like, steal their stuff and then, you know, you skip forward, like, best part of 20 years, and the whole world's changed completely. You know?
2: Well, well, it's interesting, Kindle hasn't quite um, destroyed the book market yet. <laughs> it doesn't, appear, it doesn't <laughs> appear to be doing it in any way. It just seems to be, again, just another way of people accessing the same content. And people are still, you know, buying books, as, as well as the, the Kindle or e-reader version or whatever. But, uh, yeah, it's a funny old, uh, funny old world in yeah. that respect.
1: Yeah, the more ways you make your content accessible, the better. Because uh, I remember during during 4th edition D&D, Wizards stopped selling the PDFs at some point because people were pirating them. And then all that happened was people scanned the books and pirated <laughs> them anyway. So it's like... There's it just a bit more effort in pirating. Yeah, a little bit more effort. It still happens. It's still yeah. going to happen. You might as well put the PDF out so people can buy it legitimately yeah, if they absolutely. want to. Better some sales on them. Yeah, all the, all the kids are listening to vinyl lead.
0: <laughs> Apparently they think it sounds better with a crackly needle. <laughs> I'm going to start a Dad's D&D stream. That's what it's going to be. Grumpy old Ben moaning about how it was better when
1: we were kids.
2: I think you'll find an audience. <laughs> yeah.
1: Don't play anything but above a first edition of any game ever.
0: <laughs> cool. Right, well, unfortunately I think our hour is up again, so thanks for coming on once again, Mike. It's great to have you no on No problem. Here.
2: Thanks for the invite. Always a pleasure.
0: And uh, I presume if people want to know more, they can just head over to the chaosium.com and various other social media
2: they certainly can and uh, if they really want to get into it they can sign up for our free newsletter on the website and every month or even even more frequently they'll hear about all the new releases and lovely stuff coming out
0: brilliant, thanks a lot mate, I'll catch you next time
2: cheers, thanks a lot
1: thank you